Hi, I'm Will Sullivan, your co-host. And I'm Antonina Ogruza. And you are listening to our new podcast, Let's Cover That, where we meet with healthcare providers turned tech entrepreneurs that are filling the gaps in the healthcare industry. And today we have Dr. Brian Cohen, who is joining us for our very first podcast. So all kidding aside, Brian, uh, why don't you kick us off and, and tell us a little about yourself and, and your background? Sure. Hi. Thanks, Will and Anthony. I'm excited to, uh, to break the glass here uh, as, as the first guest. Uh, and I'm going to set the bar either really high or really low. And, you know, <laughs> we'll see where it goes from there. But excited to, to be on here with you guys. Um, I am a practicing anesthesiologist. I've been in practice for about 15 years. I started my own uh, anesthesia company about seven years ago uh, here in South Florida. And around that same time, I also started working as a specialty medical director for anesthesia pain management for a medical liability company. Um, that path allowed me to sort of look at healthcare and from two different angles, um, as I continued the clinical practice, the administrative um, side of running the practice, and then also the risk-focused um, world of healthcare, which which really oftentimes seem to run in parallel, um, and with, and 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 don't cross over until we you know until we least expect it. Um, while living in that world and moving moving through um, some of the projects in the medical liability space, I ended up um, meeting two of my other partners, um, which launched us into a, a separate uh, endeavor called AdaptTrack. Um, so I'm a co-founder and chief medical officer of AdaptTrack uh, as well. Thanks, Brian. That sounds awesome. Um, can you talk us through the lack of tools for the clinician and what kind of led you to AdaptTrack? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we noticed a couple things. Um, one, as I was starting my company and in practice, and I had my partners my and my employees, and we have our own little healthcare bubble, right? Um, as I'm seeing what's happening in the medical malpractice space, and I'm seeing uh, anesthesiologists and groups apply for coverage, I'm seeing them come in with claims of coverage, um, and working them through those claims and looking at the trends of number one, what's triggering these claims and of the applications we have coming in, what is their history of claims? And, and what you start to notice as you guys very well know is there are just that there are trends and there are things that seem to just keep happening over and over and over, um, specialty by specialty, uh, or even just, you know, in a little broader sense. And so what I would do is I'd go back to my partners and say, hey, guys, like, let's not do this because I keep seeing this come up in, in claims. And maybe we should do things this way because this seems to be a little safer. And that's great for my group. <laughs> um, but it didn't really break outside that bubble. Um, and I didn't know how to do that, you know, until, again, paths crossed with, you know, the, the technology um, uh, piece and, and the larger picture piece that came in with my other two partners of, of Sam Taggart and Niraj Swami. And that seemed to be, a, you know, a gap in healthcare that, that really wasn't being addressed. Um, the other piece, as we started looking at, is this something that is needed out there? The glaring answer was yes. And because I felt anything was needed for clinicians. And as this was launching, 
that just became accelerated as we hit into kind of that 2020 year because there were more and more tools out there for patients and for health systems or for insurances or for um, you know uh, management services. But I would say, where are all the tools for, for us? Like for those of us that are actually taking care of the patients and you know running through the COVID wards and on the airway team and out there doing the work, all these tools are being built for the people around us, but I didn't see that much being done to help me and my peers and my colleagues. And that became a challenge to us. And, and we challenged ourselves with, if we're gonna solve for something, we're going to solve for things that actually help the clinicians. And that's that can be a challenge in and of itself, because as you look to solve for things, oftentimes you then give somebody one more thing to do. What we wanted to do is we want to take things off of our plates. We want to make our lives easier. We want to make our lives safer. And we want to we want the clinician walking away feeling like they just won. And when you when you look at when you when you look at it through that lens, and you bring in that risk side of things, it's why don't, you know, why don't we create a tool that essentially helps de-risk ourselves? And that can be from a couple different angles. You know, um, we looked at risk from, from three different angles, from, from a clinical angle, which is exactly what it sounds like, you know, really where the bulk of medical malpractice claims would come from. But there's also administrative risk. Um, that's another bucket. And that's things that can drive inefficiencies within your practice or, between team members or with your documentation. Um, and then there's personal risk. And that was, again, something that maybe five or 10 years ago meant something totally different than it does now. Um, now, you talk about personal risk, you can, you can break that down even to talk about moral injury and burnout and some of the things that may be a couple degrees separated from what you and I traditionally think of as liability risk. But when you start to bring it all together, it, it really comes together. A burned out physician or a physician or clinician who is, you know, morally beat down has now been shown to be more likely to end up in a medical liability claim for all the reasons that, you know, would kind of make sense. So those are the three buckets is the clinical, administrative, and personal. And we we, we tried to um, then challenge ourselves to create a tool to help clinicians solve for those three issues. What do you, what do you think when you talk about that, Brian, you know, you get a few items that you want to go solve and then all of a sudden you add another one, another bucket shows up as you kind of progress in your discussion. You know, you kind of look at a couple, you know, monumental marks in the healthcare, you know, industry. You look at the IOMs, you know, to air as human over a couple decades ago. Then you look at the ACA and the triple aim of access, quality of care, cost containment. And when you look at each of those, there are two big aspects, but now we're still in 2022, over two decades since IOM's report on that, of these near misses and unnecessary incidents. And then you also look at the ACA, now 12 years in, and now we're finally evolving to the point of understanding, hey, we have to start looking at this other problem we have, which is from a clinician standpoint, not patient-centered care necessarily, because it does impact that, not just necessarily quality, but why do you think it's evolved or taken this long to evolve that way? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a slow move. Everything in healthcare, when you look at it as a system level, is just a, such a slow moving train. 
um, because there are so many pieces and players involved with it. But I think to answer your question is going back to something we felt strongly about it. It never was really taken directly to that clinician. Um, a lot of these programs that were developed were all pro developed around the clinicians and, um, you know, you really have to start thinking about how do how do we learn and how do we best actually take information, uh, internalize that information and turn that into action. And, you know, we're we're a weird bunch of people, you know, we're a unique bunch of people in a sense of, you know, we we are highly focused, highly determined, highly driven, but always moving. And I'm not going to sit there too often in front of 50 PowerPoint slides or four hour lectures, you know, and take in this massive shift in mentality and say, okay, now go do this. That's, you know, get inside of our heads. We learn in micro moments, right? We want to um, digest information in very quick ways that are impactful to us and how we provide our care and how we act in our practice. And we're going to keep moving because we got 20 more patients in there that need to be taken care of. And, so, you know, I think part of that is, is what we experimented with, Will, to see if at least this theory was right. You know, what was the difference between how we've been learning and how we've been presented information on risk and change versus maybe how we would propose to do it now? And that's what we did partly with Adaptrek is break that up, break that up into as many tiny little micro learnings as possible. Um, we don't need to be presented 6,000 words to create change. We actually want to pre be presented about 40 or 20 words that are impactful that say, hey, we noticed when you do this, this happens this amount of time. Okay, that's helpful. I'm not going to do that anymore. And, how, and, and, and kind of creating that, that habit loop of allowing the clinicians to digest that information in a way that's more natural to them. Um, we force them to reflect on that. We, they apply that newly earned, newly learned knowledge and they get a reward for it, which is our reward is a CME credit. Um, and this feedback loop of, of, of how the clinicians are engaging with this type of risk information, which I mean, as much as the three of us like talking about risk information, most people don't, you know, find it too exciting. So it's, it's presenting it in ways that make it relevant to us and make it digestible and make it um, current and, and, and in order to do that, you know, we try to pull in more and more data points that make it more and more relevant and more and more current. Meaning, you know, I've signed up with my NPI number. Okay. Well now I know my specialty. I'm getting anesthesia related content. You know, I'm not learning about the most common errors that the oncologists are making that are leading to claims. And I think all those reasons will kind of lead to the answer to that question. It's, it's, you know, bring it to me and, and how I'm going to learn about this and then watch me take action. Um, and I think that, you know, when I say we experimented with that and now that we've had kind of those years behind it, I think we've, we've been very satisfied with um, the, the, the success in which we're seeing clinicians choose to learn this way, as opposed to kind of the old school manner. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting because, you know, from your profession and, and everybody in healthcare, they're service oriented first and foremost. And, you know, you kind of see as 
you guys are the last ones to kind of evolve in the holistic answer for how do we get better patient care. It's actually taking care of our clinicians, de-risking them, making them feel good about what they do, like it's a win every single time, and actually meeting them in, you know, com- like a wor- Williams Word- William Wordsworth kind of comment, like spots of time, like finding them. That's poetically, like that's how he wrote, and it's kind of finding clinicians in the same fashion, which I, I think is really incredible. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And it's finding it's finding us when we're ready to engage with that information. Um, and that's the other portion of Adaptrack that, you know, we everything is opt-in. Um, we try not to force it at a time when it's not right for you. You're coming to this when it's the right time and the right place and the relevant scenario. Um, and you're right that if, if a clinician is de-risking him or herself, by definition, the patient is receiving better care, safer care, better outcomes. I mean, that's what risk is. It's not risk that I'm going to hurt myself at work. It's the risk is that I'm the patient is not going to have a positive outcome. That's what met liability is, really. Um, and you're turning that to the physician's actions, the clinician's actions who are out there every day, rather than to the patient or to the, to the larger system. Brian, to your point earlier about um, the impact that this is already starting to make on the clinicians that are using AdaptTrack, what is the feedback you're getting from your users? And are you able to measure at this time the impact that it's actually making on the industry? Yeah, I mean, what what we're seeing is, um, you know, measure, measurable impact that we have now really sits in some of the insights that we're able to gain back from the users reflecting on the information they're engaging with. Um, now, what that means is as, as the clinicians engage with whatever uh, micro learnings about risk, you know, in the clinical administrative or personal bucket, the way they're capturing that and showing that they have engaged is they're reflecting on it. Right, they're they're applying that to themselves in their practice. That allows that that data to really show what their actions are going to be, um, and what that information really did inside here. Right. So, um, you know, for example, if we know that, let's see, uh, after three p.m. in the afternoon, you know there's 30% more opioid scripts written for patients prior than 3 p.m. That's not something I typically think about, but now I was just presented that in a, in a nudge, what we call. And now I'm aware of that statistic. I'm then going to reflect on, okay, this, you know, I can say this is inform- interesting information. I wasn't aware. You know, I'm going to do a couple things to help prevent this in my own practice. I'm going to consider scheduling, you know, less patients after 3 p.m. And I'm going to make a conscious effort for these later patients in the day to be aware of this trend that's been seen in healthcare. When you have that information at, at, at your fingertips now on an, on, on an anonymous and aggregated level, you know, that sort of allows us to measure impact, right? That allows us to measure that these clinicians are now hearing and understanding and internalizing these trends and all this data that our 
medical liability and healthcare industry has at our fingertips, it's now being internalized to the people that, that need it. Um, that's been amazing to see, and it's been encouraging to see, and it, and it, it's proven a point that this is how people want to learn right now. This does, that doesn't mean that it replaces all other learning scenarios and all the other types of information sharing. Um, but it's, but it's a nice way to supplement all of our other traditional learning methods and get the information to clinicians in the way we want it. The other impact, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see as we track through different groups of clinicians that are using the tools as they move through over time, as, as you and I well know, the, the, you know, the, the lag time on claims from actions is, you know, you're looking at anywhere from what, 18 months to call it three years, really, to see significant um, results from, from point A to B. So, you know, the goal is, of course, to, to decrease and de-risk claims. That, for us, is another very personal win for clinicians. It's not just that time leading up to a claim, but the other thing we've really grown to appreciate is really that pain and suffering that a clinician goes through if a claim does happen. Um, and that, you know, we, we've, we've talked to so many clinicians that have done a beautiful job of verbalizing their own experience. Some, some have lasted 10 to 12 years of, of you know, of, of going through these claims and appeals where you are beat down and you are, it really affects your personal life, your family life, your work life and everything it touches. Um, so that is obviously the goal of getting this information to us before that happens. Um, and then understanding that when and if this does happen, you know, then more tools are needed. Um, then we also need to be there to support support through that, that arena as well. So I think it's interesting because it really humanizes the piece of like the medical malpractice, the risk mitigation. And it's not you saying, let's drop our costs and <clears throat> let's avoid being sued. But actually like the whole holistic humanizing of we want to bring good patient care. We want to help people get better, the positive outcomes, and overall make make it better for everybody. I mean, it's 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 not about like the business of liability necessarily, but the business of taking care of people properly. And yeah. Yeah. It, that's it's a really good point. And that's something that again, I, I found this deep appreciation for that when I started working in the medical liability space and seeing black and white paper come in as an application, right? It's a name on a paper and you start reading about claims history. And then some of the questions are, well, what have you done to change your practice since that claims history? And you, and, and you see that start seeing those explanations and these names on paper start to come to life. You know, these are my peers and my colleagues, and these are people who are literally doing what we're doing every day and sacrificing part of our own lives because we're here to take care of other people. That's our job. And that's what we want to do. And, you know, outside of a few bad eggs in this world, no one's out there trying to do something that is purposefully risky that can cause harm to another human being in the healthcare space. So how do we, how do we help each other? stay out of those situations and prevent those situations. And I think we have 
a lot of the data and trends over the past, you know, 20 years to help each other do that. We just have to get that information into the hands of, of the right people in the right time and allow them to make those decisions to shift away from, from those, from those risks. But it, it, it becomes very human. Well, and it becomes, um, you know, very disheartening to see when, when you get stuck in that, in that process of a claim happening and just sucked into that system, what it can do to people and providers who are out there trying to do good things. And it's part of what we do. It's part that, that is a reality in, in practicing medicine. Um, but we can do better. You know, I think as a, as a system, we can do better in the medical malpractice space. Um, in, in that's what we're trying to do. And I think there's a lot of room now in the medical liability space for technology to start pushing some buttons and start making things happen a little bit faster. And, um, and that's where we're ready to, to make some noise and have some fun. Sure. And one of the things that just as an additional point to that, Brian, like that 20 years of expertise that you're pulling in from data is a lot on, on the larger entity side of the health systems, the hospitals, the physicians. But now you're starting to see that trend into new professions with, you know, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and different, you know, other kind of quote unquote ally classes to actually going on to the front lines to continue to grow that access to care. It, it almost feels like the evolution that you're finally bringing to the door, you know, is now right as these folks are getting full practice authority in so many states is turning into, hey, you get to turn on the lights to your business and your licensure is at a higher standard of care and need and your risk is higher too, your responsibility. It almost feels like they're being given, you know, kind of a head start on understanding that based on the knowledge and, you know, over the years from, from you all, right? It's that, that piece of this was, was like a huge light bulb when we started looking at, at trends, not only historical, but what's happening right now, which is what you just described. You have nurse practitioner, nurse practitioners and PAs, you know, for example, who are doing just what you're doing. Who are doing just what you're saying? Getting out into practice in a uh, exaggerated way from what has been done historically, meaning more involvement, which also means more exposure. So to say, as a nurse practitioner or a PA, we haven't seen that many claims over the past 20 years. You're right, you haven't. That's awesome, but you're about to, and that's not in a negative or scary way or like you know Debbie Downer here, but. That's just the reality because all of a sudden your exposure is completely changing and lawyers are noticing that as well. I'm sure they are. And what you described, we also sort of had that light bulb moment when you look at, for example, um, physician, the physician population in the UK with the, with the NHS for decades, they were highly protected and it was a very, you know, non-existent litigious area, you know, over there. And then all it takes is, you know, a couple of people with these major claims and everyone's like, oh, we can sue doctors over here. This is awesome. And all of a sudden you started seeing this trend go up. But that is what we saw in the States, what, 20, 30 years ago. So all of a sudden, exactly as you described, we can take all the data and all the information that we've now accumulated over the past 20, 30 years. And now it's a crystal ball. 
it's a crystal ball for, for example, the physicians in the UK or the PAs and the NP, NPs here in the States, because we know what you're going to get sued for. It's the same as what we've been sued for for the past 20 or 30 years. It just keeps repeating itself in these trends and these certain practice habits and these certain, uh, you know, patient habits even that can affect it. And so to get that information to these populations now is very, very powerful. Um, and I think could really just change the entire trajectory of what you would otherwise see as, as the curve of, of claims that would come in uh, on these personas. Brian, the work you and your team are doing is incredibly impressive. And, you know, we hope that anyone listening, any clinicians listening will be able to take a look at the platform and utilize it for their, you know, their best interest. Um, but tell us a little bit about next steps for Adaptract. Where do you see the company going? And is there a certain defining moment that you think you and your team will say, wow, we, we really, really made a meaningful impact on the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing we had to do was show that, that that clinicians cared enough to engage and that this was done in a way in which we wanted to engage with it. And that now that that has been proven, I think now what we can do is limitless because an engaged clinician is one that, you know, really can accomplish almost anything. Um, so what does that mean? That means we're going to make some noise in the medical liability space and we're looking for, um, you know, companies, organizations that care about the same things. They care about their clinicians and they care about de-risking them and they care about finding ways to support them that not only lead to, you know, short-term success, but, but long-term survival of their career. Um, and as we continue to use, you know, adapt track, as a, as a tool to do that, not only de-risk, but, but start really, um, you know, advancing what we as an industry can do in medical liability to continue to be there for, for the clinicians. That's why we exist as companies is to protect, is to protect us. Um, and so any companies out there that want to join in and, and, and kind of join that mission, you know, that's what we're here to do. Incredible. Well, Brian, we are super impressed and appreciative of all the work you're doing at AdaptTrack. And uh, that's hopefully the, the best podcast we'll have on Let's Cover That. And uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Will and Antonina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to our first episode of Let's Cover That.